Hello and welcome to a sound effect podcast, a podcast about sound effects. It's not so much a podcast about sound design or post production in general. It's uh, not really a, a podcast about field recording uh, specifically. It's about um, this little corner in the middle of those fields, sound effects. Uh, my name is Christian Halskjær. Some of you may know me as the owner of Hertz and Bits Sound Effects. And with me, I have Esbjørn Andersen, the boss of soundeffect.com. Esbjørn, this uh, podcast was your idea. What were you thinking? Hi, Christine. Uh, my name is uh, Esbjørn Andersen, and I'm the uh, founder of uh, soundeffect.com, as you mentioned. So what was I thinking? Um, I thought it would be really interesting to do a podcast about sound effects, because there aren't any out there right now. And uh, I think it's, in many ways, it's the perfect medium to to talk about sound effects because obviously it's sound. For this very first episode, we're going to be looking at some of the uh, great sound effect libraries that have come out. There's uh, there's a lot going on right now, and I think there's some really really useful stuff coming out. Uh, we're also going to be talking to um, Paul Verustek. He's running a company called Airborne Sound. He's also got a blog up at CreativeFieldRecording.com, where he looks into yeah, lots of, of different aspects relating to sound effect creation and uh, how you put libraries together and stuff like that. Yeah. So we'll be talking to him as well. And we'll try to keep it relatively short so you won't have to spend several hours listening to this podcast. That's that's the goal <laughs> yeah. anyways. Let's see how it turns out. Yeah, short short but sweet. Yeah, hopefully. That's the, yeah. that's the goal. Just to talk a little bit more about ourselves, not too much, uh, but you're behind a soundeffect.com, but, um, but what else do you do? In my day job, I'm a, a composer in a company called Epic Sound, and uh, yeah, I compose for commercials and video games and pretty much anything that needs music. And the soundeffect.com is sort of my my little side project. It's grown pretty big. Uh, yeah, it looks like. <laughs> so uh, so now your hobby is uh, is what you do when you're not sleeping and you're not uh, composing. Yeah, it's it's definitely become another full time job in a way. So, uh, but that's good. I, I I enjoy it. I think it's fun, and I get to meet a lot of interesting people doing this. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. So, what about you, Christian? Uh, well, yeah, I um, I run um, Hertz and Bits Sound Effects, as as I said, and 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 I'm more or less self-taught in recording and producing sound effects. I uh, used to work in the world of theater uh, for a few years, mm. but uh, I did a little sound there, a little bit of. Uh, mostly I was building sets and I was touring and so when I was touring sometimes I did a little sound set up uh, wireless uh, uh, microphones on actors and, and uh, did a little front of house and not too much but a little bit and other than that I've I've uh, played in bands uh, built music electronics for fun and all that stuff and lots of other things okay so that's that's basically me but i got into sound effects because it seemed <laughs> extremely interesting <laughs> and yeah. i like rec- and i like recording things and i like i actually like to i like field recording and i like to listen to to uh, to well pretty much just the sounds of the world as they are so that's, that's me a, that's a pretty good reason i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you've you've built uh, quite a catalog as well, I think, of sounds. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, I guess, since I'm not really, I haven't really been doing uh, sound design or sound editing or or whatever else uh, in a in a professional setting. Uh, uh, I haven't been doing 
films or whatever, or games. So I had to sort of figure out what to record <laughs> and what to... I wasn't recording sound effects because I needed them for my own projects. I, I started doing it because all right, here's a recorder. <laughs> what can I record? And and so I had to sort of uh, figure out later on what's interesting and what's what do people need out there? And I'm trying to develop from that. Welcome to the SFX highlight section of the Sound Effect podcast. In this uh, segment, we'll be looking at and listening to some of the new uh, libraries that have come out recently. And there are quite a few interesting ones, and um, let's have a listen. The first one I'd like to highlight in this episode is one called Mouse and Keyboard, or just M-A-K. It's from a new uh, sound effect creator called uh, Collected Transients, and it gets you Foley sounds uh, that are great for replicating someone using a mouse, a uh, computer keyboard, or touchscreen, or, or similar. So basically, uh, user interactions with various computer items. It's got lots of sounds, and it's a contact instrument, so it's actually playable. So if you want to sync with something, it's very easy using MIDI, for instance, and you can realign the events as, as you see fit. And remember, in the demo you're about to hear, everything is triggered via MIDI, and uh, the engine takes care of stuff like randomization and things like that. So you won't be hearing the same sample uh, twice in a row. Let's have a listen to it. is the uh, Yellowstone Library. It's uh, done by Tim Nelson, who's worked on numerous uh, Hollywood productions. He's really been involved in a lot of interesting projects, and these are some of his favorite sounds, actually. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it's captured in Yellowstone National Park, and it's got recordings of uh, geysers, bubbling mud pots, and hot springs, and water streams, and anything geothermal, basically. And it comes with about, I think it's 120 files, and it's... uh, I think it's more than three hours of recordings from Yellowstone. So there's lots of interesting stuff there. Listen to uh, one of the demos. Another new library is one called Seaside, and it's from Original Sounds. It's uh, recorded in Japan and uh, in Normandy in France, and it gets you, I guess you guessed it, sounds of uh, the sea, basically, sounds of the ocean. And it's recorded at piers and uh, at marinas and uh, harbors and beaches in Japan and in France. 
and um, it's very atmospheric i think some very nice uh, recordings and um, if you're looking for seagulls you've got those as well obviously so a really nice release and uh, i think comes with around 50 minutes of recordings in, in total Another interesting release is the uh, Cinematic Darkness bundle from uh, German Soundtrack Creators Boom. It's got loads of, uh, yeah, obviously scary sounds, drones and blasts and screams and stutters and generally pretty creepy noises. And uh, it comes with thousands of sounds and uh, I think it's around 15 gigabytes or so. And it comes with both a construction kit version and a design version. So uh, if you're just looking for for a quick solution, the designed one is pretty useful. And if you want to dive a little deeper, the construction kit um, pack is, yeah, that's just loads of material, basically. So I'm here with uh, Paul Verostek from uh, Airborne Sound and uh, creativefieldrecording.com. And uh, Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to do this uh, very first interview for the Sound Effect podcast. It's my pleasure, Asbjorn. Thanks for having me on the podcast. How did you uh, get started in uh, independent sound effects? Uh, well, it's a bit of a winding road. Back in 1996, I started working as a sound effects assistant uh, in Toronto for television and film. And at that time, I had a couple of really great editors that I worked with, Clive Turner and Robert Tola. And they really impressed upon me uh, the value of sound effects themselves. And Rob in particular was really instrumental in teaching me field recording. So at any chance that he had, uh, we needed any kind of random sound effect, like a Doppler car horn, nothing too elaborate at the time, we would run out of the studio and just start uh, recording sound effects. And I found I really enjoyed that uh, more so even than uh, editing or doing the assistant sound effects 
editing work. And over time, in my spare time, I just started building up my own sound library with the gear that I, I had. Later on, I joined the SoundDogs.com team. And my job there was to seek out new sound libraries, master the in-house sound effects, and eventually I was running the website in a day-to-day -day capacity. And that really impressed upon me. Um, it, it made me look at sound effects in a completely different way on how people needed them, how they liked them delivered, and which ones were popular. Uh, so I really got an appreciation for that. So after I left SoundDogs.com, I decided to give it a shot myself. I had some different ideas rattling around in my head of how I thought would be a good way to share sound. And that was back in, I guess it was around 2005. And so I took my own stab at creating a independent sound effects website myself. And it was, it was really raw. I used a service, there wasn't too much, there weren't too many tools at the time to do it back then. Uh, but one of them was eJunkie, and another one was called Payloads. And I used Payloads, and the site was really raw. But I, re I really enjoyed the process. And over time, I just kept on revising uh, the Airborne Sound website to the point where the current one is version 4. But basically, that's, that's, how, that's how I got started. So you started back in, what did you say, 2005? 2005, but it was pretty raw. Was there any market back at that time for, for independent sound effects? You know, it wasn't, I wasn't really tapped into the community. Uh, like, I had no idea how strong the field recording and sound design communities were at that time. I was kind of apart from them. So I just set up the site and I just hoped somebody would wander across the site and find it. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do too much promotion. Uh, so uh, the site did okay, but no, I, I mean, there wasn't... I'm sure people were looking for great sound effects, but as far as getting it out there, uh, I didn't really know how to do it at that time. But it was a great experience learning the technology and uh, assembling the field recordings into packages and things like that. So, so for, for sound effect creators, what are some of the benefits of getting involved with independent sound effects? Uh, well, I, I think it's a really, I, I think independent sound effects is such a, Uh, a great advance for the post sound and pro audio community for well there is there's a ton of reasons but i guess uh, off the top of my head the first one i guess would be financial like to be able to be directly compensated for your own creativity is uh, is a pretty rewarding thing uh, to see that someone is interested in what you work on and they want to support you with it and use it in their projects themselves that's 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 pretty cool um Another thing would be, I guess, creative expression itself. So in the past, if you're working with one of the more corporate uh, sound publishers, you you couldn't just put out whatever you wanted. Uh, there'd always be a filter, and that makes sense because people like Sound Ideas and the Hollywood Edge, they have their customers and they know what their customers want. So you couldn't just record anything and sell it, but that's changed with independent sound libraries. If you feel like making a sound library about remote control cars or something like that, you can do it and you can see if it can fly. The tools and the cost of doing that is actually pretty low. So you can be free to be as creative as you want and put that out there. So that's a huge benefit. And I guess then the last thing and probably the most important thing is that the independent sound libraries are really notable in the fact that they bring the creator and the people that use those sounds close together. So most of the time when you're working in pro audio, there's some kind of filter between what you create 
and who receives it. So for example, when I was working on television and film, I would cut the sound effects, bring them down to the theater, and then they would go off and to the network or whatever would happen. Main point being is that I wouldn't directly interact with the people that would be hearing the show and maybe they would appreciate the sound effects, maybe they wouldn't, who knows, but I wouldn't know. But with the independent sound effect community, you hear directly from the people that are going to be using the tools that you create for them. So that's really cool because you get a lot of good feedback from people. It's really rewarding because you hear back from them if they want something new, if they've got ideas. That can be a really rewarding thing beyond the financial aspect and beyond the creative uh, aspect as well, is that you're directly uh, communicating with the people who are going to be using your tools. You've also launched a, a site called soundeffectsearch.com. When you look at the, the sort of combined output from this community, what trends are you seeing? Uh, well, first of all, uh, one thing that I'm noticing by running that site is that there's quite a big buzz about the indie sound libraries. People are really excited to put them out. People are really excited to hear about them. And uh, it's pretty impressive that I think right now I've got about 907 indie sound libraries. And that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. If you think about the hours that it takes to put out any one of those libraries, that's a lot of creative content from individual sound designers and field recorders that are going out in the site. So I think that's, that's a really amazing thing. In the past, um, people would not get excited about sound libraries in this way. So when a corporate uh, publisher would put out a sound library, uh, not to diminish their efforts, but it would be received and people would respond to it, but not in the same way it has been with indie sound effects. It seems like when Tim Preble puts out a sound library or Frank Bree puts out a sound library or Mike, Michael Raphael, people are really excited about it. And it makes sense because they're putting out new ideas. Uh, they're taking risks in a way that the corporate sound publishers never really have before. And, and that makes sense because they have their customers and they've been doing things in a certain way. But with the independent sound community, you see that with these new libraries that are coming out, uh, people are, are getting really excited about it. And as you noticed, there's been a huge bump in it. So I would say uh, I launched Sound Effects Search in January, towards the end of January. But I was actually making a list of the sound libraries before that. And I could barely keep up in December and January. There were like, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 new independent sound libraries coming out a week. There's so much stuff coming out, which is really exciting to see. It's it's dropped off about a, a bit now in the last maybe month or so. But just the amount of highly specialized libraries that are coming out is it's really impressive. So I would say that it's really healthy and there's a lot of content being produced and just a huge buzz from and excitement about the new libraries that are coming out from people. I think you did a blog post like a month or two ago where you looked at some of the independent sound effect shops out there and how they actually manage their content and what, what kind of material they, they sort of put forward. Yeah, uh, so I, I wrote two posts kind of looking at the sound library. So I've got all those, beyond having the sound libraries listed on the website itself, I also have them in a FileMaker database and that just helps me enter them a little bit more quickly. But that also lets me look at kind of what's going on and have a bit of a bird's eye view. And I, I really like looking at the stats and and seeing what people are doing and producing and things like that. And it really inspires me. And so I 
decided that it'd be kind of cool to share what I've noticed. And so one thing, I guess if you can look at content, um, some trends that I saw, sound design is really popular. So whether it's horror or wishes or science fiction stuff, people are coming out with a lot of creative new stuff. But that, I would say, I can't remember the, the exact numbers, but they make up for the bulk of independent sound libraries. Uh, weapons and ambience and human sounds come in. I think they were, they were tied at the time. There's quite a few libraries of those. And then after that, uh, what I call building block sound libraries. So metal sound libraries, glass, wood, rocks, things like that. All of those are, they're pretty popular. And that kind of makes sense. So sound design, uh, obviously you use these as tools to, uh, in really creative projects, um, science fiction films, things, things like that. Weapons, um, I'm actually surprised that there are so many because they're very difficult to record, but there's a lot of great recorders putting stuff, Chuck Russum, Frank Bree, Watson Wu. Uh, they're all coming out with great weapon libraries that are recorded really, really well. So that's a huge benefit to the community to have such a selection of sound effects that are really tough to record. And of course, anyone can always use the building block sound libraries. I mean, that's what they're meant for so that you can use them to kind of enhance your other... Uh, tracks in your soundtrack of the the wood the metal the the debris that kind of stuff i think those things will continue to be popular but i would say as far as content is concerned yeah sound design the building blocks whooshes weapons ambience and human sounds would would definitely be topping the list from what i saw when i sit down and think about all this great stuff that's coming out i guess one of the big challenges for independent sound effect creators is finding your niche so to speak finding uh, sound effect library categories that aren't already packed so where there aren't uh, 50 rock libraries already or 60 glass libraries absolutely and it can seem quite daunting when you're creating your sound library but it's actually quite easy to solve uh, i have a couple of tips that i work on when i'm thinking about creating something new uh, so first of all my first piece of advice would be Record what you know. And I, I take that idea from just advice to writers. Your writing will always be stronger when you record something that you have more ex experience with or you know more about it. And I think it's the same thing for sound effects as well. Your sound recordings will be more powerful if you record something that you know very well. So let's say that... Um, let's say that your father, when you are a child, he repaired uh, muscle cars. And so growing up, you knew all the ins and outs about muscle cars. So you know things about that sound and that subject that other people won't know. So that will give you a bit of an edge and a bit of an insight in how to record that a little bit differently. So that would be one thing. Another thing that you can do is even for sound effects that are, I don't want to say basic because they're not, there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with them. Um, I call them foundation sound effects. So they're the kind of sound effects that create the foundation to your sound library or sounds that you use often. Things even like doors or uh, wind, traffic, things that might not seem as dazzling as, let's say, a gun sound library or some kind of foreign location. You can take those sounds and you can just do a couple of different things to make that sound library your own. Basically, the idea is to take an old idea and add your own spin to it. And 
to do that, to help myself think through that process, I created something that I call the sound effects star. And it's a five-pointed star that basically has five different traits to it. And they would be difficulty, rarity, quality, distinctiveness, and creativity. So if you conclude any one of those to any typical sound effect, you've instantly put a new spin on it. Uh, if you add two, it's really going to make a, a really rare sound library. So for example, um, Tim Preble recently released a tool sound library, but he did something a little bit different. He recorded with contact microphones, and as a result, the recordings are exceptionally clean and exceptionally close. Uh, another example is, I believe they're called Avo Sound or Avo Sound. They recorded a sound library of Tibet. So there's an example of something that's really rare, right? Um, how about, well, difficulty. I mean, all you have to do is look at Frank Bree's uh, sound libraries of Gun Tales and his M60. I mean, amazing stuff that's really difficult to capture. So there's another way. Um, how about creative uh, Tim Preble? Again, when he recently released his uh, Swish library, where he used a lot of different um, interesting props to create new sounds for whooshes and swishes, and he even sourced the community to get ideas for that kind of thing. And the guys at Sonic Salute created a, a moped library that, that's really cool. And so that's highly focused. So they covered that very, very well. Um, if you use any one of those five things, so difficulty, rarity, quality, distinctiveness, or creativity, to any sound effect, you're going to be able to enhance it and add something new. So even if something seems common, so let's say a rock library, if you add any one of those qualities, the more that you add, the better it's going to be. Um, if you add them, you don't really have to worry about... Um, how common it is because you can add something unique to it that says, oh yeah, you know what? I can hear Tim Preble in those recordings. That's his stuff. Or you could listen to Watson Wu's libraries of uh, the race cars and know, okay, yeah, that's, that's his material. That's what you want to do. You want to add something that kind of puts yourself in it and adds a different kind of spin to it to kind of make it yours. So it does seem like it's a daunting thing to see, okay, well, how do I come up with something original? But I think with tools like that, just stepping back and taking in a different kind of look at it, a different kind of perspective, you can enhance a typical recording to make it sound a little bit differently. What do you think is more valuable in the smaller sound effect libraries? Is it a more variety with sort of mostly recordings of different but related subjects? Or should it be more detailed, like many recordings of a few different subjects? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I think uh, it, it depends on what your aim is for the sound library. Uh, so, for example, if you're making a starter sound library, you want to cover a lot of ground, right? I call it a starter sound library is uh, a collection that you could buy and will cover your bases adequately for, I don't know, for the majority of projects that you would come across. So one example would be uh, probably the most popular sound, starter sound library would be Sound Ideas 6000 series. Now, that's not an independent sound library, but you kind of get the idea where it would cover a lot of different sound effects that you would need. So uh, so getting the variety, it's definitely valid, but I would say the other option uh, with detail, I think is a really good way to go. Um, and I think that's useful because if you think about the way that people edit, 
The worst thing would be to have five servo sounds if you're trying to cut an entire Transformers film, for example. So, so you want to have a lot of variety recorded at a lot of different perspectives. I remember cutting a material where you only have two or three options and trying to fit them in. I mean, it just doesn't make editing fun. And you, as a result, uh, you know, you're not going to be as inspired. Your product may not be as great. So I would definitely say the more options that you can record uh, with a variety of microphones, a variety of perspectives and distances is really important. And not just the technical aspects as well. I would say that performance putting a little bit of spirit into things, doing things with softly and subtly, and then also something a little bit stronger and more aggressively. You need all those different variations for to have a complete toolbox for a sound editor to be able to have the tools they need to be able to work the material into a soundtrack. Yeah. What are you seeing on your side? Is that What's the more common approach? Is it the customers going for something very specific or is it sort of people going for these starter libraries? Overwhelmingly, it would be the specific stuff. Um, yeah. And I think that has to do with what's out there. I don't think there are too many general independent sound effects libraries out there that mix a bunch of stuff, which kind of makes sense, right? I think a lot of these sound uh, sound libraries are created when you've got a job and you need to record something in particular. So uh, a pig library, or you need some debris, or you need a particular car for a character in a film. So you go out and you focus and you record on that one specific subject. And then later on down the line, maybe you turn it into a bundle that you're going to sell on your website. So it makes sense that they're right now the independent uh, sound library community is making packages that are focused that much. So for someone who's just uh, starting doing uh, independent sound effects, what, what kind of advice would you offer for them? Well, the first thing I would say is don't hesitate, get started. There are tons of sound editors that need good sound, and I believe that every sound designer out there has something valuable to offer. So I would say start recording right now and start building towards your sound library, making a sound library. It takes a bit of time, but I would encourage everyone to start creating something. Uh, beyond that, I guess if I was to talk about the technical stuff, um, and this may s sound obvious, but make sure that you include only your very best work. When Whenever I'm creating something, I always think about what I call the solo test. And that comes from when you would sit in the theater and a mixer is trying to find a sound effect and they solo every single track to try and find, uh, there might be a problem in a track or something that they want to boost or diminish. And you get to hear every single sound effect on its own in isolation. Most of the time when we cut in sound, it's mixed with other effects, other clips and things like that. I think it's vital to make sure that every single sound effect on its own is the best quality that you can produce. So that that would that's kind of obvious, but um, it bears reminding. Uh, also, metadata is very valuable. So I do hear from sound pros that find sound libraries that do have metadata to be much more useful. So of course, SoundMiner is probably the industry leader for metadata. You can also use Basehead and a number of other metadata apps, but having anything at all that can contribute information beyond the sound file name itself is very important. Uh, that helps sound pros find the sound easier. And of course, if the sound can't be found, it won't be useful. So metadata is very important to be able to make your sound library more useful to sound pros. 
those would be the first things that came to my mind. So, uh, Asbjorn, what are you seeing from your point of view? Is there anything from your work on each sound effect that you see that could be helpful to them? I think you've brought up some really good points. I'd say the way I see it is the most important thing you can do before starting out making a new sound effect library is look at what's out there already. Because you can be making a brilliant sound effect library, but if it's in a category that's already full and you're not really taking a new spin on whatever subject you're working with, it could end up being a wasted effort because there's only so many glass libraries out there that that people are going to be buying and you're going to be up against a lot of other great material. So really look at what's out there and see if you can find a unique angle on what you're doing or or maybe try a different subject altogether if, if it's something that's already been done a lot. So really start out by looking at what's out there and then decide what you're going to do from there. I think that makes total sense because it could be really discouraging. Let's imagine that you put all your effort in creating a new sound library. You've got it up there. You're hosting it. It's on a sound effect or whatever. And and then there's no hits. That could completely discourage someone from producing something great in the future, right? So uh, I would definitely say that's a huge point to make sure that you're going to create something that's viable and... Uh, and wanted by the community, for sure. Paul, these are some really good points. It has been such a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I enjoy following your blog and your your output from uh, Airborne Sound. I look forward to seeing what you come up with in the future. Thank you, Asbjorn. It's been a pleasure to be here. That's it for this uh, very first episode of A Sound Effect Podcast. And uh, it was presented by soundeffect.com, obviously, and uh, myself, Hertz and Bits Sound Effects. And we hope you liked it, and we hope that you will join us the next time we get something together. And uh, right, that's it. Bye. <laughs>